Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I'm your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great conversation interview to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. And you know, we cover all kinds of different topics around the talent development world. And today we are talking about onboarding. That's right, onboarding, something that almost every organization is going to deal with and need to figure out if you work for a company with you know, at least 100 employees, you probably have some type of onboarding process or procedure in place. And I recently connected with today's guest, Jessica, when she signed up for the Talent Development Think Tank community. And we had our first one-on-one conversation and found out that she was extremely passionate about this topic of onboarding. And I said, well, why don't we get you on the podcast to talk about it? And she was a little nervous. I think it's the first time she's done a podcast, as, as is the case for many of our guests. But I think she shared a lot of really great insights into the work that she has been doing recently, as well as seeing out there in the world of onboarding. And it may give you some good ideas in how you can improve your onboarding process as well, or think about it more holistically in how you can approach it so that it's more effective and a better experience for your new employees. So Jessica Rivera has been a learning and development professional for 20 years and has supported thousands of people in their onboarding journeys across multiple industries, healthcare, cruising and travel, hospitality and fintech, and disciplines from patient registration representatives at Advent Health to systems analysts at Baylor Scott & White and cast crew cards at Disney Cruise Lines and now to anti-money laundering agents at Wise. She currently serves as people and organizational lead overseeing the onboarding experience for new employees globally at Wise, which is a fintech company which has grown 186% so far during her tenure, going from 1,400 employees to over 4,000 employees in a year and a half. And so you can just imagine if you're in charge of onboarding for an organization that's growing from 1,400 to 
4,000 plus in a year and a half, you've got a lot of people coming through. You've got a lot of people to onboard and bring into the organization. And it tends to be a, a pretty big responsibility. So I was eager to dig into Jessica's experience and some of the best practices she's seen in onboarding coming, going all the way back to how selection is set up to the role the hiring manager takes on to giving more responsibility to actual employees in the onboarding process. So if you're involved in onboarding at all, I think you are going to enjoy this conversation. And so without further ado, here is my onboarding conversation with Jessica Rivera from WISE. Enjoy. All right. I am joined now by Jessica Rivera, who is a people and organizational lead at WISE. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thanks, Andy. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Excited to have you on. We connected, I don't know, a few months back when you came and joined the talent development think tank community. And you came in right at the right time because we were having some conversations about onboarding. And I remember you and I chatted and you said, oh, onboarding, I'm all about onboarding. That is what my favorite thing to talk about. And I said, good, I think we need to do a podcast interview about onboarding. And (laughs) and here you are. Yeah, I know. Wow, that escalated quickly. (laughs) (laughs) This is how I I roll. I don't really like to plan too long. You just take action, make stuff happen. So we are going to talk all about onboarding today, which is a topic that, you know, and, and what's going on with onboarding, what's done right, what's the future of onboarding, what are the challenges out there? And it's just something that kind of impacts probably every company because everybody hires people, right? And they need to onboard them in, in some way or another. But before we get into that, let's just start with your background. How did you get into talent development in the first place? Uh, it's probably the same same song as everybody else that's come before me, that it was all accidental, right? I mean, right. I was working for a hospital system in Orlando and I was working in their call center, calling insurances to try to beg them to pay for patient claims. And one day there was a posting for a training position. I thought, hey, I don't know if I want to be the ones on these calls, but I can sure train other people to do this job. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got into it that way. I mean, you know, I say that a little anecdotally, but when I was working in that position, I had a tendency to really put together information and organize you know, processes and steps on how to do things. And I did it mostly for myself. And then other people on my team would see it and say, hey, that's really helpful. Can, can I borrow that? Can I use that? Can we use that for other new people that are starting on the team? And, and it's there where I started realizing that, hey, you know, this is kind of something interesting, something I enjoy doing. And so I became a trainer. It wasn't until I was working in the position for a little while that I realized that, hey, I'm not a healthcare professional. I'm actually a learning and development professional. And that mm. training and learning and this whole process of adult learning is actually a whole field in itself. And that was just mind blowing to me and and opened up a a whole new set of horizons that I started, you know, trying to find out more information about the field and stumbled into like organizational development, found out about back then it was ASTD, now it's ATD, of course, and really started getting keyed into other resources and finding out how other people in other organizations and other industries are, are using learning and development and what they're doing you know, in their fields. Because all the things that I just thought, hey, this seems like a good way to teach people how to do things and perform in their jobs was really backed up by actual research and science and mm. that there was a whole, you know, just industry and, and field of knowledge behind it. And so that was really great to discover that and to find, you know, kind of find my people, right? And like, this is my calling. This, yeah. is, this is where I'm at. And so yeah. I've had, thankfully, over the course of my career, the opportunity to do so many different things within learning and development. Because I think, you know, as we know, and you've had so many other people on your podcast that talked about different aspects of learning and development. You know, I've been the facilitator. I've done like online 
training. I've done webinars. I've done designing of e-learnings, things like that. I've been the the manager over a training function, helping Mm. to set the vision and being a consultant to to other business operations. I've worked for L&D as part of the operation. I've reported in from HR's perspective. I've also been an instructional designer that fell under the, the IT team. So I've been mm. able to see learning and development from a couple of different lenses, uh, which has been really cool and beneficial. And I think has been kept me going and interested in throughout this, this last like 20 years that, that I've been doing this. That's been, yeah. been really exciting. Yeah. And you spent some time, quite a bit of time in healthcare and you also yes. worked for Disney as well, right? For the cruise line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked in the, in the healthcare industry for about 14 years. And it was really always in the field of the revenue management cycle of the healthcare industry. Sounds super exciting. I know <laughs> I was not the life of parties, <laughs> for sure, <laughs> when I would talk about like, hey, what do you do? What do you where do you work? And, you know, I talked a lot over the years about insurances and copays and deductibles and teaching people how to, to work within the processes in a business side of healthcare. And I've, I had a, a conversation with a really good friend of mine. And we were talking about existentially, like, where do we see ourselves in five years? Who, you know, where do you, what do you want to do with your life? And at that point, I, you know, I kind of verbalized out like, yeah, I, I'm not a healthcare professional. I'm yeah. an instructional designer. I'm I'm in learning and development. That's what where my passion really lies. Not necessarily in in healthcare. It's not the deductibles that you know get me jazzed to to, yeah. to get up and, and go to work every day. And you know, so she asked me a really powerful question. She was like, "Okay, well, if you had the choice, where would you work, or where do you see yourself, or envision your your ideal place to to be? Who would be your your dream employer?" And without hesitation, I said Disney. Because hmm. I was a huge Disney fan. I was yeah. living in Texas at the time. And I originally was from Orlando, I mentioned earlier, from, yeah. from Florida. Yeah. And after moving from Florida, you don't realize like how much like the theme parks and that lifestyle <laughs> is embedded in you until yeah. you, you're leaved and you're removed from it. And I was missing Disney so much at that point, just being able to, to go to the parks and, and things like that, and Universal Studios as well. But, you know, I immediately said Disney and she said, wow, you know, you do talk about Disney quite a bit, Jessica, you're always breaking Can I, can I just ask, ask some context for this? Did you have children at the time or were you one of those like, oh, I'm an adult without kids and I still go to Disney all the time? <laughs> That's a good question. So before I had kids, I was, I was going to Disney every so often. After I had kids, you know, they were indoctrinated into Disney culture. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, we watched all the movies, sang all the songs, et cetera. But I'm probably a bigger Disney fan than they are or ever will be. I think. Okay. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Just, I was just curious. just curious. There's a lot of adults that don't have kids there, that go to Disney all the time. It's a subset it's a of the population. Yeah, yeah, it is. There are Disney adults. They are real and they are out there. And uh, yeah, they're forced to be reckoned with. But yeah, but I mean, at that time, at that time, I did have my kids were a little bit younger back then. And so my friend said, you know, well, since you talk about Disney so much, Jessica, have you ever tried to get a job there? And I thought, no, <laughs> no, I haven't. Like, <laughs> no. wow, that was like an epiphany. Like, yeah, that's that. Why, why haven't I? So mm. that afternoon, I, I went home, went online, went to the Disney job boards, and there was a posting that was four hours old that had just been posted that afternoon for a position for a training manager with Disney Cruise Line. Mm. And I thought, wow. Why not? Let me let me put together my resume, throw it out there. And I was lucky enough to, to have been selected for interviewing process, went through the whole gamut and was selected. And my family and I moved back 
to Florida and uh, I was at with Disney Cruise Line for five years and it was it was a magical experience like working for that company that's that's something that is like a feather in my cap I feel like you know because yeah. who gets to say that you know I worked for the Walt Disney World Corporation right. and was part of the magic you know helping to create happiness for, for other people and yeah and it was great I, I really I really enjoyed the experience that I that I had working there that's really cool and the question I think a lot of people are probably wondering is, yeah, I'm sure you did a lot of great work in learning and development, but did you go on a lot of great cruises while you were working at Disney? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Actually, uh, you know, we, we had you know perks and benefits as a lot of companies do. But I mean, being Disney and yeah. Disney being Disney, cast members were able to um, benefit from discounted cruises. Of course, the priority is for guests and making sure that the guests are right. accommodated. So it would be situations where there was ships sailing out that didn't book 100% and there was still availability on the ships. And so there might be mm. last minute deals that would be available to cast members to be able to, to go mm. on a cruise. So that right. was that was pretty cool to be able to have that option there. To, to take part yeah. in. So I did go oh. on a couple of cruises while I was there. Probably tempting all the time too. Like, oh, another cruise. Oh, so why did you make the move? So now you you completely changed industries going to Wise, yeah. which is in the, the yeah. technology space. And tell me about that move. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there was definitely a huge shift from healthcare to Disney. I mean, yeah. that, that was a, a huge shift for myself as well, because you're going from the healthcare field, which is very compliance, regulatory driven, you know, um, it's life or death situations being in, in healthcare and being in hospitals and very structured, right? And then going to Disney where you associate that with magic and customer service mm. and happiness and pixie dust and all of those things. But, you know, Disney is a, a big company and they do have a lot of structure, a lot of just processes in place, which is is expected, right? For a company mm. their size, but they do definitely have a really strong culture. And that's the thing that I really was engaged with was mm. the culture of the organization that you weren't told, like, you know, our objective is to have 2 billion guests walk through the park every day. Like the, the mission is like, we create happiness, right? And it's, it's really tied more into the, the emotional, which I really loved and, and really, I don't know if they, other people might think like, wow, you're really drinking the Kool-Aid there, Jessica. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I was happily chugging away at that Kool-Aid. Uh, I loved it. And um, I think that Disney such a, does such a great job with storytelling and creating memories, creating magic. And it was, it was a, a purpose that I was really driven and, and called towards, you know, to, to be a part of that in whatever capacity I could be in. For me, it was you know, how do I, I support other cast members and help them to realize their potential and the magical roles that, that they're filling? Yeah. yeah. So you make this move to to Wise and now you are yeah. first a different industry again, of course, but also really focused on onboarding. And it's a, a company that's in high growth. And this is something that you're focused on all the time. So I wanted to get into this subject of, of company onboarding. And first, when you came into it, you know, what did you discover are sort of some of the the general best practices of onboarding? And, you know, what are some of the big challenges out there with, with onboarding these days? That's a good question. For me, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about experience, you know, I like to, to really be people-centric with the onboarding experience. I, I know that there are other organizations that may not have really a robust onboarding process or program put in place. And and in those cases, that might be really what we think of more as like an orientation, right? Mm -hmm. It's transactional. You're here to get your name badge. You're getting your equipment. 
You're getting your access, you're getting your key card so you can go get in and out of the building, et cetera. You're finding out how to to operate a a fire extinguisher in case of an emergency (laughs) and, you know, things like that. Whereas, you know, really focusing on the human elements of it and then what is the, what is a new employee feeling when they're, they're coming into a new environment, a workplace, you know, are they connected to the culture? Do they understand what the, the mission is of the, the company? Do they understand and, and know what the products are? are? These products that that they connect with or familiar with, would they use these products? Would they recommend this to, to family and friends? Uh, and are they going to, to you know, be advocates for, for the company down through the, the course of, of their career with the, the company? And so rather than looking at just what are the admin things that need to happen during onboarding? And I really want to make sure that in any program that, that I'm involved with, we're looking at just the experience as a whole. Like what do the, what does the new person need to know coming into it? And it could be as, as simple as, do they bring lunch on the first day? Is there a cafeteria? Is there a, a break room, a, you know, a microwave for them to heat their lunch in? Mm-hmm. How do you dress? Like, what's the dress code? What am I allowed to, to wear? Or, you know, who am, I, who am I touching base with? When I get there, I'm going to show up in the lobby of this building. Like, then what? <laughs> like, I've been the given worst, the address. Right? You, get, yeah. you get there for the first day and you have no idea what to do and nobody talks to you. It's just... Uh, right, right, exactly. And so so having that that care on the first day is is super important. And with company onboarding, you know, I think that the the biggest thing to recognize is company onboarding doesn't start on the person's first day. It starts before then, right? Mm. It's it's from the point that they've maybe, you know, some people might define it as the the moment that they sign their offer letter or accept the offer to come work at the company. And I think that there's a huge opportunity there that not a lot of organizations are are taking advantage of. You know, a lot of hiring managers will you know, go through the process of interviewing somebody, selecting somebody, and they're like, great, I hired somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they just wait until day one comes around and then they're like, oh, you're here. Okay, good. Let me just plug you into the process now or into the team. But for from the the newbie, you know, we call at Wise our, our new hires newbies. For the newbies perspective, once they, they sign that offer letter, you know, for them, it's like, okay, now what? You know, there's a lot of things that can happen during that time up until their actual start date. They could get a counter offer from their, their current place of mm. work and decide, okay, yeah, I'll stay. They could be continuing their interview process because, you know, we might be a little bit too vain to think that we were the only ones that people were interviewing with during right. their, their search. Um, so they could be still, you know, kind of playing the field or shopping around, so to speak, and and trying to see if they could get a better offer or find a better situation somewhere else. And so I think that the the criticality of of hiring managers keeping in touch and connecting with their new hires even before their actual start date is so important. And I, I've seen this really with Wise because you know it's it's a European based company, and so in in Europe. Their notice periods are a little bit longer. You know, here in, in the United States, it's like two weeks and you're done, and then you yep. can move on to another place. Like that's standard, standard etiquette, right, at work. But in in Europe, because of some of the labor laws, depending on, on where you are, it could be a month or it could be two months <laughs> before a person is able to stop working at their current place and then transition into a new role somewhere else. And I, you know, one month, two months is a really long time, and mm. When I was hired in and I accepted my my offer letter for Wise, I was really surprised, but pleasantly so, that my my new lead was touching base with me every week 
up mm. until then. Like I, I accepted an offer in mid-November and I wasn't scheduled to start until January. And so I had a good two months there of just kind of hanging out, not doing anything else, uh, yeah. you know, and to enjoy the holidays and everything. But but my lead made it a point to reach out to me and, and connect with me, you know, it, whether it was email or she said, hey, let's, let's just connect on a quick Zoom just so we can like catch up. And mm. it wasn't anything where she was like, okay, let me just kind of prep you on what needs to happen when you're yeah. here. It was, it was really just to connect and get to know, you know build who a I relationship. was and, yeah. Yeah, and just to, to build that relationship. And that was, that was huge for me. I was just like, wow, this, this is amazing. And that really helped to build my excitement and, and give me that confidence that, yeah, I, I really lucked out and I, I picked a great place and I'm really fortunate that they selected me to, to join this, this really great company. And, I was really looking forward to to working with this lead. Now I was really excited about my my new leader, and I'm really jazzed about just. It felt like she was very empathetic and really cared about me as a person. You know, that's and that's a huge thing. COVID nineteen pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat. It's known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. Yeah, that's fantastic. I hadn't really heard of a company doing that. And like you said, <laughs> uh, onboarding can really start long before the first day, right? Oh, and yeah, absolutely. We did a, a call about onboarding in the Think Tank community. You were on there right after you joined. And yeah. I remember someone on there talking about you know, the first day of work being like one of the most vulnerable times in someone's yes. career and maybe their life. Like you yes. you made this huge decision to change, start a career, change whatever, and go work at this company. And you don't know it's a risk. Is this going to pay off? And you can walk in there and people can ignore you and you're walking, looking around going, I don't know what I did. Yeah. Or you could be fully embraced, right? And then you can be really happy and excited about your decision. And that can can last for probably quite some time, right? And can really pay off and and end up with higher retention and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, you talked about like what your lead did. What are some things that you put in place to really make sure that new hires are going through a great experience when they start with WISE? Well, it's kind of funny the way that, that you worded that question, Andy, because it's not necessarily anything that I did, because then that makes it seem like, you know, I have this great epiphany or this like grand <laughs> wealth of knowledge to know like, okay, this is what's going to be what's best. Yeah. But it's interesting that, you know, I feel like everything that, that I've done has been really led by the new employees and just kind of some of the trends that, that I started observing and just how they prefer to work and, and what their expectations are, right? And, and you know, it's, it's interesting that when we think about the traditional approach to onboarding, it's, it's always been organization driven, right? Mm -hmm. The organization is the one that's responsible for putting together a process, putting together a plan, setting up what this experience is going to be for new hires. And, you know, even in, in Google searches, if you look up like who's responsible for onboarding, all of the, the research and articles and, and things that I've seen has always listed out like HR, the training department, the hiring lead, 
you know, the teammates, the leadership team needs to be supportive of, of the onboarding process. Everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Except the new employee themselves. <laughs> like mm-hmm. They're left out of the equation. And I've always yeah. found that kind of interesting that, you know, new hires are never listed as being responsible for their, their um, onboarding. They've really got no part in it except to be expected as a, a passive participant. And I think that that's where I've been seeing a lot of changes most recently is, you know, we can put together this this onboarding experience that we think is going to be great. But I've seen a lot of, of new hires and, and people that are coming into the workforce or, or transitioning from different places you know, within a workforce and within their careers that are being more vocal about what their expectations are. You know, we have people that are either really experienced and they've they've been you know around the block a couple of times they know what to expect and so they're at a point in their careers where they're like hey you know i'm i know kind of what the game is and here's the things that are important to me and they're bringing that right from the beginning right or we have a lot of uh, the younger generation that that's entering the workforce for the first time and you know i don't want to necessarily get into the differences between generations and and how they oh you they, know we love you know. talking about generational differences <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I think that there's there's definitely something to be said there in just the, their their way of navigating through life and and the workforce and having more emphasis on you know how can I develop myself like where what is this going mm-hmm. to help you know for myself and, and wanting to be more of a driver in that process right yeah. you know and, and I mean to to go a little bit into the the generations right I and mean, we have yeah. you know boomers Gen X millennials Gen Z right, and they're all in the, the workforce. Yeah, the silent generation also in some cases. And really, there's not much significant difference in the values and the preferences between the generations. I mean, we all kind of value overall very similar things. But I think that the the big difference that people see or feel or experience is just the context or the the evolution of technology or the mm-hmm. social, you know, the societal norms that, that may have changed that have maybe broadly affected how each generation navigated the workplace and what was seen as like, okay, this is just kind of how the process is. And I think that if any of us had been born at a different time where, you know, the technology was, you know, different, then we would have reacted or, or navigated our, our careers, you know, the same way that that present yeah. generation has done so, right? So. I mean, yeah, you look absolutely. at you look at different research, like how long people stay in jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, before there's kind of anecdotally, you know, research research that back back in the day, mm-hmm. people stayed at a job for for their whole career, right? They may mm-hmm. have had just one major job, maybe a couple in their lifetime. Whereas now, over the years, that's been really increasing the number of times people change jobs or how how long they stay at um, yeah. a job, their tenure. Has, has decreased. But something that, that I have just recently started digging into is, you know, there's, there's um, a study that I came across that talked about different generations, you know, and, and different age groups, let's say, where it says that you know, anybody that was between, let's say, like 25 to 34, their median tenure is 2.8 years in a job. Mm-hmm. For anybody 35 to 44, it's 4.9 years. So it's doubled. And then 45 mm-hmm. to, to 54, it's, it's seven and a half years, let's say. And then from 55 and above, it's, it's 10 years. Yeah. So depending on, on you know, how old you are, where you are in your, your career, your tenure at a, a company changes. And from, from my point of view, you're thinking, wow, the younger generation, they're, they're really just kind of jumping around, right? But you also have to understand where they're at in their careers and you know, 
they mm-hmm. trying to find what their their passions and their purpose. I know that yep. yeah. you talk about that a lot and, yeah. and having a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people are maybe trying to figure that out uh, early on, but there's also a lot of studies tying it back to onboarding of, you know, people leaving a job actually within the first three to six months, right? Because people mm-hmm. can, can make a decision pretty fast, whether or not this was a good fit. Yeah. And it's not what I know, thought I, it was. Maybe I'll yeah. go try something else. Yeah. And so I think that mm-hmm. that's skewing a lot of the data that, you know, a lot of people, maybe the tenure is not, is not so much the big thing. I don't think people are, are staying two and a half years and thinking like, okay, it's time for me to move. Maybe yeah. they are, maybe they're not. But I think a lot of it is is to do with just kind of understanding, knowing what your expectations are and making a, a quicker decision about, okay, is this a place that I want to be or is this someplace where I just need to move on? And it being okay for people to make that move, right? Because oh, yeah. in the past, that would be unheard of, right? You get oh, into yeah. a job and realize, oh, this isn't what I thought it was. I guess I need to stick it out for five years before I can go look for something else. Otherwise, my, I'll have a black mark on my resume. I'll never get hired again. And <laughs> yeah, now no. it's completely different. Like if it's not the job for you, then you just change and go find something else and, and employers don't mind. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I mean, I think that there are a lot of other things that have contributed to that that shift in that mindset, right? I mean, there's advances in technology, so people are able to, to get into different things, get new skill sets and be able to move into different positions or different companies. There's easier access to information. There's more options for work, right? I mean, mm-hmm. back, back in the day, it might have been like one big major company or factory that was in yeah. town and that's where everybody worked. But now there's a lot of competition out there with organizations and just different options to work, right? Mobility for the work for, workforce. You can move to different cities, towns a lot easier than you used to before. And then also the option of remote working. So there's just so mm-hmm. many options out there. And and so would it would it would be kind of silly to think that somebody would find a job and that would be the one forever yeah. and ever. It's almost like dating, <laughs> right? right? Like you might yeah. go through several relationships in your lifetime before you find the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So getting back to onboarding in general, like as you've been exploring that topic, you've gotten into you know doing it for yourself, seeing what Wise had in place, looking at what other companies are doing. What would you say some of the best practices out there when it comes to onboarding that companies need to really be thinking about doing to give their people a great experience when they're coming on board? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, it, it's it's not, there's no silver bullet, right? And I think mm-hmm. that the, it's there's so many other interdependencies. I mean, for one, it starts with the, the hiring process, making mm-hmm. sure that the hiring managers are really working closely with the recruiting team to make sure that they're they're getting really great candidates in and selecting the right people for the positions. You know, a lot of times I've seen in different business areas where they're they're just kind of like on fire, we need to hire mass, you know, mass hire for a position and just get bodies in, right? And that's never a great solution, one, for the company. And then two, for the the new employee thinking like, oh, just because I had a pulse, you like brought me in. And, right. You know, you really didn't care about like who I was or what my, my ambitions were or anything like that. But I think number one is is making sure that the selection process is really solid to begin with. Secondly, the, the hiring manager really has to have that hand in hand, you know, being part of the process all the way through rather than feeling like, oh, HR is handling it or the training department's going to handle it. And, and they're going to spit out like this model employee at the end of the, the onboarding process. And then I can take them from there and then they're going to join my team and, and everything's going to be great. 
But I think that the, the hiring managers really have to be involved from the very beginning. I've had a lot of newbies that start and they go through our onboarding process and they, they have a great experience with our team. And some of them are like, you know, but I've, I've actually, I, I don't know who my lead is. <laughs> like I've mm. never met my lead. I, they haven't reached out to me. And so where are they? I feel sometimes like we're like a nursery and we have kids and then it's like, you know, the recital and, you know, all these other parents are coming in to, to check on them and see how they're doing. And then there's one kid that's like, where's my parent? You know, didn't yes. show up or, and so the hiring lead not being present during the, the start, you know, especially in that first week or the first day even yeah. for a newbie is, is really a little bit soul crushing, just a little bit, you know, yep. that, you know, did they forget that I even right. started or, you where's know, my manager? Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the other thing. Aside from that, like I, like I mentioned earlier, I think that it's so important to make sure that you're really purposeful in understanding what your objectives are for onboarding and really clearly defining what is it that we want the new employee to have coming out of this onboarding experience. And then also defining like, what is onboarding in our organization? Is it just the, the first couple of days where we're tying them mm. into the organizational culture or is it more involved with their their functional onboarding or the technical onboarding and, and teaching them about their actual job? Because mm -hmm. there's different phases to the onboarding process, right? And that whole journey. There's the social onboarding of, of getting to know the team and then you know, just kind of self-onboarding. From that point, how can they become autonomous and how can they take charge then of their career going forward from here? You know, kind of what are the next steps? Once I've, I've established this this solid foundation for the start of my career at this company, yeah, yeah, and so I mean, I, I I think about it in terms of you know going back to the the point I made earlier about the individual not being part of their onboarding process. I think that it's it's really important to give the the new joiner that framework and mm. that that permission almost to say, hey, you can be part of this process too, like be really open and, and communicate, you know, what are your expectations and what is it that, that you're hoping to gain out of this experience and, and role that you've taken on? And yeah. even not just the role, but beyond that, you know, because I think that you, you need to learn one, the organization and the company, you know, newbies need to know, like, what are really powerful questions that they need to, to get answered? You know, like I mentioned earlier, what's the schedule? What's the dress code? What do I need to bring on my first mm -hmm. day? Do I feel like I'm, I'm, connected or, or understand what the services are of this company? What's the mission and values? What makes me proud to say that I work for this company? So being able to not only know what the mission and values are, but for myself as an individual joining this company, do I, does that resonate with me? Do, do I feel like I, I'm connected to that? You know, beyond that, after company onboarding, I think it's important to, to then look at my team. You know, what's my team's purpose? What are our biggest projects right now? How do we communicate and stay connected? And kind of what are our what are our team norms? What are the things that are unwritten that I should know? Like, hey, we all have donuts on Tuesday morning, mm -hmm. so you should be in the office, or you know, things like that that maybe yeah. isn't in a an SOP or anything like that. Uh, how do we share feedback with each other? You know, and then beyond that, you know, what what's the role? What are my specific tasks and responsibilities? What processes yeah. am I involved in or responsible for? What does my typical day look like? What skills am I bringing to the table? And what things do I, I feel like I need to, to develop? Or you know, what gaps might be there that I need to, to fill in order to be successful in the long term? Uh, and I yeah. think that a lot of really good, robust onboarding programs help 
new joiners to to address these things. But it's mm-hmm. really great when new joiners understand what their role is in their onboarding process and and feel like they have that that power and that ability to to ask these questions and to make sure these things are happening for them. Yeah. And then beyond that, I think the the biggest thing is not just looking short sighted in terms of onboarding this person to the role that they accepted and agreed to to be hired in for, but you know, what's the long term for them? Is there a career path for this person? What other talents or skills are they bringing to the table that that we might use for talent management and succession mm-hmm. planning or other areas that that might benefit from this person's skill set? Is there any training or development, other resources that that the new joiner can can leverage? Yeah. Or is there internal mentors or coaches that they can work with to to help right. keep them invested and keep them engaged with the company? Yeah, so many factors that that tie into this and, and creating that great experience for the new employee and, and so many great things to think about there. The last thing I want to ask you about, Jessica, is where does how does swag play into all of this? You oh, know, because people love swag. getting great swag when they start swag, at a yeah. company. I know this is a topic that you're excited about as well. <laughs> yeah, and I think that we we together kind of created a term, right? The swag lag. <laughs> the swag lag. That's right. Yeah, and it takes too yeah. long to get that new that new right. stuff. Exactly. I mean, those are the things that people are really excited for, right? And and what way to to really key in on on a new joiner's excitement that that's free advertising, right? Like they're willing, and this is the time, you know, I know that you mentioned earlier that first day is when they're most vulnerable, but it's Mm -hmm. also when they're the most excited and when you can really, 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 really just kind of harness the the enthusiasm that they have for, for being a a loyal, you know, advocate for, for the company, for the product. And swag is such a huge thing. And, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's a little bit more than just, giving them a pen with, with the name of the company on it or mm-hmm. notepads or things like that. But, you know, also in, in how you present it to them mm-hmm. is really important as well. You know, making, making a, a big deal about it, celebrating it like, Hey, this is something that now you're, you're getting a chance to peek behind the curtain or you're, you're welcomed into the inner circle now. Mm-hmm. Right. And to make it something that, that is a huge deal is, is so powerful because then it ties to the emotion. It really connects people it really helps to build the the camaraderie within a cohort when they're all getting, you know, the the swag at the same time and they're putting it on, trying thing, you know, trying on a hat or putting on a shirt or what have you. And it's it's it seems like such a, a trivial thing to some, but you know, there's a lot of power in it. There's a lot of emotion and, and emotion is is something that that can really take, you know, the energy and enthusiasm from a new joiner and really turn it into something where they don't forget that. And if they feel like this company really cares about me as an individual, is really thoughtful in, in how they're they're really excited about me being here as a, a new joiner, then wow, that, that makes me really jazzed to, to do my best and, and really make sure that I'm I'm able to, to contribute back to this yeah. this company. So swag, there, I love it. I'm all about it. Is. it. Make sure you have that swag for have your new employees. Don't make them wait. Don't don't give in to the swag lag. Don't make yeah. sure there is no swag no, lag. Make sure they got the swag. <laughs> Jessica, this has been great. Thank you so much for for coming on and sharing all of your your thoughts and work that you've been doing on onboarding. I'm sure this has been helpful for many people who have been involved in that in some way. And a lot of people in L and D are. For those that want to reach out and get in touch with you, I assume LinkedIn is is probably the best 
place to go? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I do hope that this has been helpful for somebody. If there's one person out there that, that got something valuable out of this, then right. I'll be super happy. But yeah, no, the time went super fast. But yeah, if anybody wants to, to connect or, or continue the conversation, or if there was something that resonates with you, or even if there was something that like, hey, you said this, and I don't agree with it. And here's why, like, I would love to hear that as well. Because yeah. I mean, I'm not pur- you know, purporting myself to be any kind of expert in anything whatsoever. But I just love to have the conversation and, and just to, to share ideas and all... really talk about this topic. Because I, I think that it's, it's an important one in any business that we really take care of the newbies and, and welcome people in and yeah. you know, get them to, to productivity as quickly as possible. Because I think it's a win-win on, on everybody's front. But yeah, LinkedIn, I'm on there. Reach out That's... to me. Let's yeah, connect. we're all we're all learning and growing together and we're Absolutely. having good conversations about this in the think tank. Well, thank you again for Jessica yeah. for coming on. I look forward to talking uh, to you more soon. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks, Andy. All right. That will do it for my conversation with Jessica Rivera from Wise about onboarding. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, you know, onboarding is not something that I have ever personally been involved with, uh, as is the case with many things that we talk about on this podcast. And so I'm always happy to interview people who are not only knowledgeable and experienced, but also very passionate about the topics or subjects that they are talking about. And so I hope that was valuable for you. You know, we talked about what great onboarding looks like, what some of the best practices are that Jessica's seen. I like how she talked about, you know, starting with the selection process and really getting the hiring manager involved because I now run my own business and I have many contractors who work for me, but I have been an employee in other companies, many other companies in the past. And I know that there's there's a terrible feeling when you walk into a company the first day, you're so vulnerable, you're nervous, you have no idea what is going to happen. And then nobody's there or seems to care. It's, a, it's just a very vulnerable moment. And we have opportunities with our companies to provide a much better and really great experience for employees when they start with a new company, not only on the day they start, but as Jessica pointed out, even weeks before you could be sending out information, could be checking in, sending a care package, you know, hiring manager could be building that relationship even before the first day. I'm sure there's probably laws and restrictions and regulations in some areas based on this type of thing. But for the most part, and then, you know, knowledge worker space, you probably can do this. I bet many companies are not. And you can really set yourself apart and get people excited about coming in. And then as Jessica pointed out, don't forget about that swag, because it does make a difference. We all love swag, right? We all love getting stuff and that branded stuff that shows you work for this company you can be proud of. So don't forget about that as well. Another thing not to forget about, I want to remind you of, as I mentioned earlier, and I think in the podcast, Jessica is a member of the Talent Development Think Tank community. This is the membership community online that I run for talent development professionals. We started it in the summer of 2020, and it's still going strong. We host regular calls with guest speakers to talk about different topics. I think we have Jessica lined up for a future call to talk about onboarding again, because we did one call on onboarding already, and it was a very popular subject. We also have open forum calls where we pick topics and and let people discuss in breakout rooms. And I bet you don't get an an opportunity to do that very much, right? I mean, you can attend webinars and learn from experts, but to actually get into a virtual room and have discussions with people about what they're doing and learning from each other. And almost every time we do this, people come out of it with new ideas and new resources, someone sharing presentations and resources and things they've done with others. I see it all the time and I love it because that's why I created this community for people to connect with each other. So that community is there for you. You can join on an 
annual or a monthly basis with no commitment. So you can come check it out. And if you decide it's not for you, you could leave. We've had people do that certainly when they just couldn't make the calls. But the people that do come find a ton of value and end up staying for a long time. The website for that is tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank. And we also have a conference coming up, an in-person conference coming up on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. It's called the Talent Development Think Tank. We're doing it in wine country in February. If you live in a colder place, get out of there, come on out to California, drink wine with us and talk about talent development. It's a two-day conference with an optional third day where we're going to be running some workshops that you can add on that are going to be very, very value add. It's going to be a great, great experience. We've got some fantastic speakers lined up for it. I'm really excited about Claude Silver, Jessica Scone, uh, Kevin M. Yates, and many others who are speaking. I will be speaking as well, so you can decide if you think that's exciting or not. But there are going to be some really great sessions. There's no replacement for doing this stuff in person. We've got a clear mission behind it. We know it's going to be an impactful and fun and entertaining and engaging conference like nothing else out there. And I want you to make sure you check it out. The website is tdtt.us slash conference, tdtt.us slash conference. As I record and release this, we are in the super early bird ticket phase, but I know ticket prices are going to be going up on November 18th, and then they will be going up again in December. So make sure you take a look. And if you're thinking about it, you pull the trigger, or if you have questions, reach out and ask me because I'd love to answer those for you and figure out if it is a good fit. I also have an episode coming up next week where I am going to discuss everything that is going on with the conference, the behind the scenes, how it all came about, why we're doing it this year, what I have planned for this year. So if you're on the fence, stay tuned. Next week, we will be talking about why you should attend the Talent Development Think Tank Conference. And in two days, I'm going to be releasing my bonus Q&A conversation with Jessica Rivera. So stay tuned for that as well. Talk to you again soon. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.